Last week, we began our study of this idea that we're not saved to just be average. We're not saved to just go through the motions, but we are saved from his, uh, his grace, his mercy, his shed blood on Calvary, and we're saved to do something with that. When we're saved, so many times we think, well, thank God I'm saved, and that's it. That's really just the beginning. Once we're saved, that's the very beginning of our journey with him and what he wants us to do and what he's prepared us to do. Again, I won't take, the, I won't take this lightly in the fact that I'm thankful that I can repent of my sins. I'm thankful that they can be washed away in the wonderful name of Jesus. I'm thankful that I can receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And I'm thankful the new birth experience allows me access to the kingdom of God. I'm thankful that I have hope beyond this world. It's in the light when he comes to return and gets us individually or collectively. Thankful for all of that. So I don't take that lightly. But in the meantime, occupy till he comes. Do something till he comes. So we're, we're, we're to show the world the love of Jesus. We're to store up treasures in heaven. We're to follow the plan of God that he has in the will of God for our lives. And we're to reach others for the name of Jesus. Let's look at starting out tonight's lesson. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light, I need you to think of this verse, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. It's very, very clear by scriptures we looked at last week, and we'll look at some more, and this verse starting off this week, there's nothing hidden from God. And there will be nothing hidden from any of us. It will be revealed. When he comes, the deepest secrets will be brought to light. Your motives will be revealed. That's what the scripture is telling us. So thinking of that, let's look at some of these verses that we looked at last week. I think I read them about four times, but I'll read it one more. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 9, somewhat of our key verse. Wherefore we labor that whether at present or absent, we may be accepted of him. In other words, well-pleasing to him. Verse 10, because we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not talking about when he says, depart from me, I never knew you, and enter down to the joy of the Lord. This is where the saved are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone is, may receive the good things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Not sin and say nothing like that, but whether it be good or bad. The point being that it, whether we talked about the scripture again last week, if something's hay or stubble or wood, it's gonna be burned up. But if it's gold and, 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 and precious stone, it cannot be burned up. Those are the things, it's just symbolic of the things that will last forever. So we are going to stand before the judgment seat and we'll all be revealed as to who we are and what we're doing. There's no cover-ups. There's no excuses. It's going to be our true selves standing before God. So some would say that all human beings have three images. You're going to have to think with me tonight. Their projected image, 
their perceived image, and then, of course, their actual image. Your projected image is rather simple and easy to figure out. It's the way you want everybody to see you. So you project that. You show them that. You make sure everybody sees what you want them to see. That's your projected image. Your perceived image is how others really see you. Have you ever met those people that their projected image, and wow, it was fantastic, and you got to know them. It's just wonderful. You wanted to be buddies with them, and the more you got to know them, you realized, ooh, that's not them. And then there have been times that first impressions and you've met somebody and you perceive them in a certain light and you're just like, man, are they a jerk or whatever the case may be. And then you got to know them. It's like, whoops, I messed up. That's not who they really are. I just had a, a bad dealing or was it, I don't know if I saw them in a right, wrong light or had a bad uh, day that day or something. I perceived them incorrectly. So what I want you to see, I project what you perceive about me is the perceived image, but then let's boil this all down. Really, we need to be, what is important is our actual image. That's who we really are. Let's consider Jesus. He was rejected by many. He was slandered by the influential. He was lied about by the rulers and viewers and viewed by the establishment as an heretic or even demon-possessed. His perceived image was not favorable in the eyes of many. Okay, what they perceived him, they crucified him. So his perceived image was not very favorable, especially to the notables, uh, the who's who of society. They were the ones that came up against him and tried to destroy him. They perceived him much different than he actually was. Yet his actual image, again, very, very different. Let's look at some things here. Hebrews 1.3. Who being, talking about Jesus, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's who he really is. That's not a perception or what we th want to think of him. That's who he really is. John 14, 9, Jesus saith unto them, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? That's who he really is, God manifest in the flesh. He came to seek and save the lost. That's who he really was. Think of the earthly family that he had. Can we say Mary and Joseph, others, kids, his, kind of weird to say this in terms of Jesus, but his half-brothers and sisters? Think of this. John 7, verses 3 and 4 said, His brethren, Jesus' brethren, therefore, said to him, Depart hence and go to Judea. Get out of here and go to Judea, they were telling him, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. Verse 4, For there's no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly, if thou do these things, show yourself to the world. What they were saying to him was, if you want to launch your ministry, if you want a big following, if you want people to really understand who you are, 
get out there in the spotlight and let them see the miracles. Let them hear your teaching. Let them see what you're doing. Project yourself on the big screen is what his siblings were saying to him. He did not try to boost his reputation and did not seek the accolades and approval of man. He was a man of integrity. He was the same with everybody. That was who he actually was. If you were a child, if you were, if you were an adult, if you were high up in a, uh, the government officials, if it did not matter to Jesus. He was the same. That was his actual self. What you see is what you got. Now, again, people perceived much, many things differently, but that's who he was. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, our projected image, let me back up here. We, we got to remember that our projected image, our perceived image is not what will be revealed before the entire assembly of heaven. Who we truly are is what's going to be revealed. This is what I'm going to push a little bit hard tonight to help us understand some of this stuff. Many Christians, their perceived image is what matters to them. Simply put, their reputation is of greater importance to them than the true motives of their heart. As long as you all think good of me, it doesn't matter who I truly am. But if I can just project this and convince you, then I can be what I want. And so that sometimes we do this, unfortunately, and it causes uh, the word hypocritical to be thrown around, and that often changes depending on who we are with. I, I read this story, this man, he went on vacation, and he happened to be uh, early, up early in the morning. He was walking along the beach, and he happened to run into this other guy. This other guy was telling, talking, he said, hey, what are you up so early? He said, well, I'm just out here just walking, enjoying the, enjoying the sunrise and all that. And this guy, about every third word was a curse word. And he said, yeah, he said, I, I'm down here. And he's talking about all the wild parties he was going to and all these things. And this, this guy was just looking at him between the cussing and all the vulgarity and all the stuff that he thought was fun and what he was doing there on, on his vacation. And then he said, and then this man asked, uh, asked, he said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a preacher and I'm, I work at a church. And that's what he told this man immediately. That guy was like, oh, thank the Lord. Isn't that neat? He said, it is wonderful to be able to run into another Christian like this. And he went on and on of how he was on staff at some church in New York, I think it was, and how he's married with some kids and has all these wonderful things. and all. Talk about, we're kind of ahead of myself a little bit, but talk about deceived. Because he thought he was a-okay to be partying on vacation, but then, oh, I'm a minister. Well, I've got, I'm married. I have, I have a wife and kids. It's just, yeah, they're back home. The thing is, he was trying to project something, and then it was depending on who he was with, what he projected to them. So here's what happens. We run ourselves ragged because we're not true to ourselves, first of all. And we want to fit in with the church on Sunday, so we act like the church on Sunday. But we want to fit in with the workers on Monday, so we act like the workers on Monday. And we want to fit in with our family that doesn't serve the Lord, so we act like our family on Tuesday. 
That wears you out, folks. That's what we're not looking to be. We're looking to be our actual self. Who we are in him is the most important thing. That's what's going to be revealed. That's what's going to be shown before the assembly of heaven. Let's read this again, and I'm going to add one more verse, but 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that, he has done, whether it be good or bad. But let's add this next verse. Directly after informing us of this judgment seat, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest into God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Some of the wording may appear to think certain ways and, and, and not maybe give us the correct connotation in our head. So let's clean this up the best we can. Simply put, let's go like this. It's because we know this solemn fear of the Lord that we work so hard is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I do certain things because I fear God. I want to be right with him. This word terror, I looked it up, and yes, obviously it has to do with reverence and respect, but there also is some connotation of not scared, not frightened like that, but just really respectful of his awesomeness, being in awe of who he is and understand he is a God of judgment also. So going back to the idea that God is not just some fluffy teddy bear that we do and act how we want to and he just smiles and bails us out and enables us in everything constantly. The fear of the Lord keeps us in touch with our actual image. Okay, let's work on this. The, the opposite is true as well. The more we lack the fear and the reverence of who our God is, the more we lean on our projected image. If we could ever get this down, that you are going to stand before the Almighty God for who you truly are, I suggest we start acting that way now. Because that is who we're trying to please. It's the fear of the Lord that puts us like this and that helps guide our steps. So the fear of the Lord keeps us in touch with our actual self. You're going to serve who you fear. You're going to serve who you respect or who you want to like you or who you want to measure up to. That's who you're going to serve. You'll try to please or impress who, who, who you revere and, and have a healthy dose of, can I see the word fear again towards? That's who we're going to try to impress. If you fear God, you'll obey God. This is, folks, I am doing a, a tightrope balance up here the best that I can. I understand he is a great heavenly father. He is also a God of judgment and wrath. We cannot forget that part of our God. And so sometimes we can act however we want. Yes, he has grace, and yes, he has mercy, but he will judge us also. So if I truly trust God and fear God and stand in awe of God, I'm going to obey God. But if you fear men, you'll ultimately obey man's desire. 
because many times it is so much harder to, to offend the person we're looking at, especially if we desire their love or their friendship, and we don't want to feel odd or rejected. It's so much easier to offend God than it is to offend them. Let, let's do this little thing, okay? Do you know how many people write stuff on Facebook that if I stand in there face to face, they would never in their life say that? Because behind a screen, you're safe. Behind a screen, it's easy to say, oh, I'll tell you what I'd do, I'd tell this right. No, you wouldn't. Tell you what I'll do right. You don't have a clue. If you're face-to-face with a situation, you don't have a clue what you would do until you're face-to-face with the situation. And so many times, it's like that. When I'm face-to-face, and I have to make an awkward decision to say, I'm sorry, I don't think that's funny and walk away from that, that's awkward, that's odd, that feels strange, they could make fun of me and reject me, would I rather that or offend him? It's much harder to offend somebody face to face, but he still is, though we don't see him face to face, he is still everywhere present and with us always. This is kind of the balance we're kind of get at. What would we, and who would we rather offend? Who would we rather have a rejection? Who would we rather have reject us? Watch this. The apostle Paul feared God. Okay, you believe that? Galatians 1.10. For do I now persuade men or God? You tell me, Paul's saying. Am I supposed to make all these people happy or do you want me to be right with God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul was saying, I'm not out to hurt feelings, but if it balances and comes between you or him, I promise I'll offend the whole church. That's what Paul was saying. Because he's saying, I'm not going to offend God. Paul was not trying to win a popularity contest. He was warning and he was wanting to please God and God alone and warning the people that I'm not trying to be mean or hurt you in any way, but I'm going to please God of what he wants me to do. If others were pleased, that's a bonus. But that was not the goal. Maybe Paul was fueled by this. Maybe the fire in him was fueled a little bit by, like this. this uh, the Bible fascinates me. Watch this. Galatians 2. Let's read 11 through 14. Now we're talking about the great apostle Peter. But when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul said, I got in his face. He said, I was stood him to the face because he was to be blamed. We have Paul, the great apostle Paul, and the great apostle Peter, nose to nose, and Paul's in his face. I could see him with his finger up saying, you're the man. What do you think you're doing? Verse 12. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, all of a sudden, Peter withdrew himself, separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, the Jewish people. And other Jews also joined ranks with Peter and left also, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with this dissimulation. Verse 14, Paul said, When I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, 
I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Okay, let's clean this up in our language. Peter was just fine with all the Gentile Christians, eating with them and just going along, having a great time until James shows up with an entourage of highfalutin people, I guess, from church and the church people, and he deeply dis desired the approval of James and the other leaders, or so the way this looks to me, which led him to hypocritical behavior. When James and all these, this entourage from the church came, all of a sudden Peter's like, excuse me, Gentile people. I can't eat with you any longer. And dismissed himself. And so now they're starting to divide up here. He was eating and was all chummy with the Gentile Christians until some church people he wanted to impress showed up. Then all of a sudden, he and a group of people got away from those Gentiles and said they didn't agree with them anymore. This was why Paul was saying, I, I'm not out to impress men. I'm working very hard to please God. Peter, that's fine. You be as hypocritical as you want to because you're acting all, and you were just fine with everything with these Gentiles, and all of a sudden, somebody that you wanted to impress showed up, and all of a sudden, you changed your tomb. You're a hypocrite, Peter. That took some guts on Paul's part. But Paul may have been fueled by some of this saying, look, you are hurting these new Christians because you are stuck in a certain way and you have this certain mindset and you were just fine until somebody else came to you and now all of a sudden we're going to back down completely. I try very hard, and let me just be candid with the family of God here. I try very hard to not offend but I've had people say things to me before, something like, do you think you'll get any backlash from that? My point on that is, I'm trying to serve Jesus Christ. If somebody out there wants to offer backlash, call me and confront me, absolutely. But what needs to happen is we're all trying to please him is what needs to happen. I, I hope I never get too proud to say I can't be corrected or that I have, that, uh, that I maybe made a mistake and I need to uh, repent over that. But ladies and gentlemen, we cannot go around tiptoeing around people and it depends on who we're with, how we act. We have got to be true Christians no matter where we are, who we're with, where we're around. That's what God is calling us to be. And so Paul was looking at this Saying this isn't right. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. You don't know. That's what the, the trick of a snare is. You don't know you're in a snare until you're in it or you wouldn't get in it. You saw a snare. Well, I'm going to go near that. No, you're in it, and all of a sudden you're in a snare. The Bible is telling us the fear of man, that's going to get you in a snare because all of a sudden I'm out to impress everybody else. Doesn't matter what God is calling me to do or what God has asked us to do. We don't care. We're out to impress everybody else. And that is a snare to us. Paul saw the problem and had the courage to rebuke Peter to his face along with Barnabas and the others who had all caved into this seemingly peer pressure. So Peter will have to answer for this incident if he didn't repent over it. I hope he did. I think he did. Probably saw the error of his ways, but as 
as we sometimes, we have to understand too that we have to be, we have to repent over things that we have done hypocritical. And that we have, when we have not been true and when we have not been consistent, we've t- we have chosen to be controlled by how we want others to perceive us. And that every time is a snare. Hebrews 4, let's look at this. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Notice that the word of God pierces deep into our innermost beings, into our innermost being and into our thoughts, into our desires. It exposes us for who we really are, not who we are projecting ourselves to be, not who everybody else thinks we are. So if listened to and obeying the word of God, it protects us from deception we're not going to be deceived because we allow the word to work in our heart and tell us who we really are. This is, this is so important because we get so wrapped up in ourselves and project ourselves for others to see the image we want them to see. And if we have done this for a long period of time, we absolutely can be deceived in thinking that's who we really are. Proverbs 2, I'm going to read a little passage of scripture here. Listen, my son... If thou wilt receive my words, hide my commandments with thee, so that thou, in thy, thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifted up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures. Once you do all that, the very next verse, five, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It is vitally important that we seek after God and we seek after his will and seek after his word and seek after what he wants because then we will find the fear of God and that will keep us in line to pleasing him. We'll not deceive ourselves with a projected image, but rather we'll live the truth. We will know the truth when we're seeking and listening and striving to understand. We'll understand the fear of the Lord. So what is then the fear of the Lord? Because we talked about this in a couple of verses. The fear of the Lord is what's going to keep us right, what's going to keep us lined up. It's going to keep us to obeying him. First and foremost, I will say it's not being terrified of him. It's not being scared to death of him that if you slip out, he's going to just kill you. It's not that type. That's unhealthy, and that's not what we're talking about. Okay. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he brought them straight to Mount Sinai. That is where God had revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush. Moses had said to Pharaoh several times, let's read just one of those times, Exodus 7, 16, and thou shalt say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, let my people go so that we can go to the promised land. No. Let my people go 
so we can go get all the promises he's promised for us. No. He said, Moses, you go to Pharaoh and you tell him, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldst not hear. He didn't ask Pharaoh all these other things. Why would Moses, listen very closely, why would Moses lead them to the promised land before he introduced them first to the promiser himself? He wanted these people to have an encounter with God like he had an encounter with God. There is this amazing contrast between Moses and the people he led. The Israelites, okay, the children of Israel were in Egyptian bondage. They were abused. They were fed terrible food. They were in rags. They were just, they were made to build things and produce. They, and that's all they were, were just workforce for them. It was a horrible existence. It was terrible. Contrast Moses. Moses miraculously found by Pharaoh's daughter. He lived in a palace. He had servants, he had the best trainers, he had the best food, he had the best clothes, he had the best of everything. Yet after getting out of Egypt, Moses not one time said, I'd like to go back to the palace. I'd love to go back to those, those nice steak dinners is what I'd like to go back to. But how many times do the Egyptian people say, just take us back to bondage? Take us back to slavery. What in the world? Why did Moses, who lived the greatest of anybody, we, we don't even live close to the way Moses lived. Why would he say he never once let it come out of his mouth? I want to go back to Egypt. But the people who were in bondage, the people who were abused, they were the ones that said many times, something got a little rough. Let's go back into bondage. The difference, Moses, I believe Moses the difference was Moses had had an intimate encounter with God at the burning bush. The Israelites were offered the same, but they refused. God offered to come down on the mountain, but those people, instead of embracing his presence, fled from him. Moses said in Exodus 20, 20, Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. If you get a glimpse of God and get in his presence and get close to him, you will have a healthy fear of him and you won't sin. You'll want to obey his voice because you'll recognize who he is. Moses differentiating between being scared of God running away and having this reverential fear of the Lord. The person who is scared of God, usually it's because you have something to hide, i.e. Adam and Eve. They walked with God, cool of the day, everything was wonderful. They, they knew God, they, had, they knew his voice, and when they sinned, they hid from God. So sometimes this whole idea, it exposes ourselves. Because we hide from God when we have something to hide. The person who truly fears God has nothing to hide. King David, let's work on this a little bit more. King David, 
Psalm 139, 23 and 24, King David said this, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. And if you find any ounce of wickedness in me, lead me in the, in the way everlasting. Get it out of me. Search me. Do what you have to to me. I want to be in your presence. I want to be like you. I want to be close to you. So to fear God includes respecting him absolutely. But it also is to give him the place of honor and the place of glory and the place of reverence and thanksgiving and praise and preeminence in your life that he truly deserves. When that happens, it is so much easier to align ourselves with him. We'll hate what he hates. We'll love what he loves. Holy fear is manifested by our unconditional obedience to him. Hear me? Holy fear, the right reverence with God, how do I know is manifested because I will truly obey him. Whether we understand who he is, what he's doing and what he's up to or not, it does not matter. I'll still trust him. I'll still follow him. I'll still heed to his voice. I'll still do what he wants me to do because I fear him and that is pleasing to him. So when we properly, when we properly fear God, we know that we can't hide anything from our creator. I, and this took me a while. Wrestle this down with me. When you properly fear him, you are willing to stand before him as David did and say, search me. Every part of me. If there's a motive that's wrong, help me know and I'll change it. If there's something sinful way in me, help me to know and I'll get rid of it. Search me and purify me and cleanse me. I want to be in your image. I want to be like you. And so when we have this proper fear of God, I can stand before an almighty God and say, I'm all yours. Whatever you desire is what I want. When that happens and I have nothing to hide, the surprising result of that, you ready for this, is I feel very secure. Shouldn't it be the opposite? You stand before Almighty God and you say, search me. He's a holy God. He can destroy the body as well as the soul. He is all powerful. And I stand before him and say, search me thoroughly. I want to be like you. And when that can happen and when I live like that, I become very secure in him. Because there is that proper fear of him. The danger of living out of our projected life instead of our actual image is again that we deceive ourselves and we can become deceived. One huge problem with deception, this is really uh, revelatory. You ready for this? One huge problem with deception is you don't know you're deceived. I hate deception so bad. Because it's like me trying to tell everybody, you're not really in the sanctuary. You're not sitting here. No, you're not. Nobody's in here. It's just all a dream. It's just like baloney. I can talk to my neighbor. I can 
hit myself. I can come up and punch you in the head, too, if I want to. Yeah, yes, you can. We'll fight. But, it's, no, the point being, you're not deceived like that. You know that you're truly here. But deception is like that. It's evil and wicked. It blinds us. And the problem with deception is you don't know you're deceived. So people who are deceived believe that with all their heart, they're right. When in actuality, they're wrong. This, you know, maybe I'm just a little gun shy or something. This terrifies me. Because what if I think I'm right and I'm deceived and I'm wrong? That's a, that's a sobering thought. But here's, I think, the antidote to that, to the word of God. James tells us, 122, but be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, Deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in the mirror. He beholds himself, goes his way, straightway forgiveth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but he's a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. We deceive ourselves when we just listen to the word of God instead of allowing that to penetrate way down inside of us. Do you remember? The word of God is sharp and powerful and quick and it divides asunder. It gets way down and it knows all these things. Allowing the word to get inside of you and not just hearing it, but doing it and allowing it to penetrate and change us. If the word doesn't penetrate our inner being, then we'll have the mental knowledge of God and his ways, but only for the most moment when the mirror is held up in front of our face so when we come to church we'll feel a certain way because the mirror's in our face but as soon as it's done we'll go our way and do what we want to do deceiving ourselves different person is seen at church because the mirror's in front of them we must ask will I live well what I do with how I live does it bring pleasure to God or am I just popular among people because if you don't truly fear God and you're just constantly focused on your own reputation you'll grow distant from God you'll go away from him and you'll not be pleasing to him this is why in Psalm 111:10 it says the fear of the Lord it's the beginning of wisdom to know to fear him keeps us in the right way. Psalm 25, 15 says, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. Ladies and gentlemen, I know I've been a little all over here and I hope I'm making some sense and bringing this back around to you. But this idea that we cannot simply project what we want everybody to see, we must fear God and that will help us in aligning with what he wants and obeying what he wants for our lives. And in that case, as we stand before him, we will be well-pleasing to him. We will not be deceived, will not be led astray because of what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. 
It's so vitally important. Again, that's why the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. If I can get that and get in his presence and know who he truly is, so many other things will fall into place. I allow his word to penetrate in my heart and it can change me forever. Can we stand in the house tonight? Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would search us. We want to be just like you, Lord. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be led astray. We don't want to just go through motions at church and then act another way someplace else. But I pray, oh God, that you would search us. Help us to hear your voice, do your work, do your will, to follow after you, to be pleasing to you. We know someday, Lord, we're going to have to stand before you. But Jesus, we want to be pure. We want even here on earth to do your work, to do your will, to be well-pleasing to you and to what you've called us to do and to be. Lord, the way to do that is to begin to fear you, to begin to stand in your presence and allow your word to get deep inside of our hearts, to convict us and be willing to change. Let us be not only hearers, Lord, but let us be doers of what you want us to do and how the way you've set before us. I pray that you'd bless each one. Help us to have a great evening, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.